The text today is 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to pick up the preaching in verse 11, but I want to read a little bit ahead just for the sake of clarity with the passage. Read along in verse 4 with me when it says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with the branding iron. Verse 10, for it is this we labor and strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the savior of all mankind, especially of believers. Verse 11, prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe, 15 to 16, and we're going to sit. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching, preserving these things, for as you do this, you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. Let's pray together. Lord, we are excited for what you're going to do in this building today. Lord, as we've worshiped, we have felt your presence, Lord, not out of emotion, but out of the, the heavy sense, Lord, that you are with us, believing that your word is true, God. I pray that this passage in Timothy hits home. Lord, I pray that it pierces the hearts. And Lord, I know that you're capable of saving. So I pray for deliverance and salvation for all who hear this message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. You know, my parents told me a whole lot of things, y'all, but one of the things that always stuck with me was before I went off to school to remember who I represent and that I should be a leader, right? You guys have probably heard this message, to be a good example. Yet I was one phone call away from one of the worst whoopings of my life. I can picture it now. I covered my smirk with my hand as the voice of my teacher echoed off the wooden cabinet shouting, who did it? Y'all, my head was shaking, <laughs> reflecting on how stupid I was and the rest of my classmates were to not cover our tracks. You see, I had an elementary school teacher who was very strict, like most of you kids in here today. Y'all know how it is. You got to raise your hand before you go to the pencil sharpener when all you want to do is show off your outfit. They're ready to change the clip, bring you from green straight to purple. It ain't no in-between, no, no progression. Y'all, she was really, really strict. And the reality was is that she had this station that she would always play classical music because she thought it would be good for us to, you know, study to and learn to. She felt that it helped us. But I'm going to tell you the truth today in this pulpit, right? It was really annoying. And so one day she didn't show up for Valentine's Day, and we normally have a Valentine's party. And guess what, y'all? We had a substitute. So you know how kids do. We make our moves. So I asked the sub, hey, are you cool with me changing the station? Because guess what? At Valentine's Day, when I was trying to be sweet on all the ladies, I'm not trying to flirt to no Beethoven. Right? Like, me for real. So I was like, no, nah, okay, you got to change the station. So the dial changes, and y'all, we turn up. I mean, we have a party. Y'all could just picture me skinny, you know what I'm saying, moving and rocking. 
I was feeling myself, right? So the thing is, the next day, well, we forgot to change the station back. So she walks into the class, y'all, and she puts her hand on the dial to try to, you know, get everything right. And out of nowhere, the sound system, the radio starts blasting. But instead of hearing the sweet symphony sounds of Beethoven, she heard the raspy voice of the Ying Yang twins and get low. And all you heard come out of that radio station was taking her clothes off. Oh, she naked. Y'all, her face got red. And I'm not talking about red. I'm talking about Santa Claus suit red. And she was living. I mean, shouting, frustrated, demanding answers. Only moments later, I found myself shaking my head in the principal's office. <laughs> you see, it was fun to satisfy that desire, right, to have a good time, to try to be the center of attention, to try to do all that I could to maximize my time within the freedom that I had. But I let those moments of temptation, even though I led myself astray, cloud my judgment from being a positive example in who I knew I ought to be. And many of us in here from young to old, we treat life like a game. We go round and round playing. And as I've gotten older, I've recognized more than ever that our world is falling apart. It's filled with lies, false teachers, temptation, brokenness, fatherlessness, and pain that just seems to lack purpose. And guess what, y'all? We need leaders today who are willing to stand up and be godly examples, willing to tune out the noise of the enemy and his agenda. And this plight, funny enough, is actually not new. You see, there was a young brother by the name of Timothy, and Timothy was cool with another cat named Paul. Now, if you don't know about these gentlemen, let me introduce you. Paul was Timothy's father in the faith. Because guess what? Timothy's biological father really wasn't really much of nothing, as the text would tell us. Timothy came from a mixed background. His mama was Jewish. His daddy was Greek. So you're talking about a cultural confusion right there for the masses. He didn't grow up with an active father in the home like some of us who are sitting in this room right now. But you know what he did have? A faithful mama and grandmama that poured into him. So just quick shout out to the mamas and the grandmamas, right? <laughs> But that poured into him so strongly that it changed the course of his life forever. The book of 1 Timothy, which you've already begun to read today, is a part of a selection of books called the Pastoral Epistles. These were handwritten letters from Paul to one of the guys named Titus, and you already heard of Timothy, that was not just meant to be a who's who or what's what on church policy. Now, nah, this was a heartfelt letter to try to get to their soul. You see, Timothy was left behind in a place called Ephesus, and this is where we begin our time in the Word today because guess what? Ephesus wasn't the sweetest place. Even though he was planted within a church community that professed Christ, there was countless challenges from false teachers. There was persecution that riddled throughout the city. And just for saying that you are affiliated with Christ, you suffered harsh persecution, some of them even a death. Guys, this was a dark situation. Today, funny enough, although we are not being burned at the stake for our faith in America, there is harsh criticism given out to those who believe. Even within our church, we have to make sure that we protect and safeguard one another from false teachings and false doctrine that could ruin our lives. The challenge today is when you are in a situation like Timothy, where you're challenged to be an example, right, to be Bold, to step up to the plate, the challenge is 
Will you worry about everyone else looking down on you, but will you look up? You see, that's the first big idea that you got to walk through with the text today is that you are to look up. And that just means to take charge in the midst of disruption. And I'm going to break down how you do that really quickly. One of the ways we do that is to be bold, right? In the bulletin, it has 1 Timothy 1.7. You don't have to turn there. It's actually 2 Timothy 1.7. That was on me, not on the people in the back. But it talks about God didn't give us a spirit of fear, And many of us in the middle of a job situation that looks like a wreck in our families when they're falling apart and we have baby mama drama and baby daddy drama that is splitting our communities where fatherlessness is running rampant, where there's so many issues coming out of a pandemic where people are sick and people are hurting. This world is on the brink of destruction. The challenge today is will we be bold and stand? See, when you're bold, you're not worried about the backlash. You're only worried about the mission. Paul told Timothy, don't worry. Don't give them an excuse to look down. I need you to look up. That's what the verse right before says, to fix your eyes, your hope on God. Not to fix your eyes on the situation and circumstance. But I'll be lying if I said in my humanness, I had shied away from being bold because I was scared of my own voice. I was curious to whether I knew enough or whether I was equipped enough. And maybe if you're somebody like me that struggles with boldness at times, I know hard to believe because I always feel like I'm going to be misunderstood. Let me tell you this. Paul told Timothy, don't worry about that. I need you to stay focused. And if he was going to stay focused, family, he had to not only be bold, but he had to be disciplined. This is an area where a lot of my young brothers and sisters struggle at. I'm going to be real. To be disciplined, to be focused, to be locked in. Because there's way too many distractions that exist today. And if you read 1 Timothy, and even if you get to the book of 2 Timothy, in the exact same verse I just cited to you, it also goes on to say, but of power, of love, and of discipline. See, this is Paul's further instruction to Timothy that he gave, but many of us don't do that. In fact, we don't, we, we don't really stand boldly. We are undisciplined, but guess what? We sure do get to the point of pride whenever God feels like or thinks like or it puts it even in the scope of our mind that he's going to use us. Boy, that pride started to swell up. You see, one of the things about being young and talented is that pride becomes one of the biggest battles you will ever fight. And I found out from talking to a lot of older, much wiser people that when you get older, not much changes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> So he wanted Timothy to be bold, to be disciplined, and to be humble, right? We got that even from the opening verses because it tells him to prescribe and to teach these things. To prescribe means to give an order. To teach means to instruct. He was saying, Timothy, it's time that you step up into leadership. You know, Timothy, if you know his character well, you know, he struggled with being timid. He was bashful. He was shy. But he didn't want, Paul that is, he didn't want that shyness to have people thinking of Timothy all kind of ways. Sometimes we can look at the person that might have the skill set, might have the desire, but might not yet have the voice, and we write them off. Hmm. My, my, mind. Then Paul says, let no one look down. You know the funny part about that in the original scriptures, that don't look down. If you could get an adequate understanding of the Greek, it actually is to stop an act that's already in progress, meaning that they were already hating on them. Hmm. And some of us walk into the church frustrated, wondering why we don't want to take lead in certain ministries because somebody is hating on us or somebody looking down on us. Please don't let that stop you. 
And I found everybody said they got haters, but ain't nobody to hate us. So how that work out, church? Y'all ever think about that? That'd be blowing my mind sometimes. But back to the passage, we see in the text, it reminds us in verse 12 to let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather, and then it goes to list out five things. But before we get to those five things, I want want us to get pretty deep today. You see, that word youthfulness, you would normally look at it and you would think young person. And that's fair, right? Youth is pretty self-explanatory. Until you start doing the historical study and background of that word and you recognize that it could have been for somebody up to 40 years old. Hmm. I mean, it blew my mind when I found out. You know why? Because I knew that even after I was a teenager, I was still young in God's eyes. Hallelujah. (laughs) But there was a greater call to consistently stand for truth. So no matter if you're a teenager or even a little bit older than that, these five things that Paul is getting ready to explain to Timothy are the heartbeat of this passage. So if you're ready to dive in like I am, I want you to pay careful attention to these five. He goes off by saying this, speech, conduct, faith, love, and purity. I want you guys to understand that you are to reflect Christ and to reflect greatness. And I know it can be challenging, right? Because we already know the obstacles that we face. Can I be honest with y'all in a moment of transparency? Please don't judge me or beat me up. There's been many times I've interacted with families, parents, and they expect me to be the only godly example their child sees. As a youth pastor, there's a lot of weight and a lot of pressure. I joined and I got into the ministry serving full-time at 21 years old. While some of my peers were popping bottles and running the streets, I was trying my best to be devoted. Not saying I was perfect. So please don't look at me like a finished product. I'm quite the opposite. But hear me out when I say this. That the same burden you feel as a parent to try to put a good foot forward in your family. As a father, when your children sleep and you walk into the room looking down at them, wondering what they're going to be and how you can make a difference, I feel you. For the mother that's trying her best, working two jobs just to make ends meet, I feel you. Because guess what? Being an example is very, very challenging. In fact, many of us, we've prayed for production in those areas, right? Anybody in here, because I know I can't be the only one, have said, Lord, help me with my mouth. Lord, my speech, I need you to fix it. Right? I know (laughs) that's me. My mouth gets to tripping sometimes. Some of us is our conduct, and we say, Lord, I need you to help me behave differently. God, I need you to change my ways, God. We can do the same thing for love and faith and purity. But you know what the fascinating part is? Many of us, when we're praying for that, we're actually saying, God, just get me to the point. Don't take me through the journey. Let me say that again. Y'all didn't catch it. Many of us, when we pray and we ask that, we're saying, God, get me to the arrival point. I just want to reach my destination. Don't tell me about the journey that can grow me, that can shape me, that can refine me, that can prune me, that can make me better, Lord. Take me through the fire. Nobody's saying that, but we all want to focus on the outcome. So I'm going to put it to you like this. There was a video that I seen the other day on the Internet, and it was fascinating, guys. It had a dog in the middle of the hot, burning sun walking against the side of the building, and the sun was so hot and bright, it cast a shadow against this running water coming out of a spout. And so the dog, as thirsty as he was, walked over there, and the shadow of the water that's actually running in front of him is flowing, but he's so captivated on the shadow, the dog starts licking the brick. 
Yo, I was like, this can't be life. Huh? And you can see every time he licked the brick, his face gets screwed up. Like, that don't taste like no water. It's, it, I mean, it's hilarious, guys. See, many of us feel like we went to that brick wall. Anybody ever been to a brick wall? Come on now, somebody. You didn't ask God, Lord, give me an opportunity to grow and to change. And instead of fixing your eyes on the circumstance or to see how you could be able to overcome it by faith, many of us are just looking for the destination and we are licking every brick in the line of sight. I'm going to break it down even a little deeper within the text for you just so that you can understand that point carefully that many of us have begin to get mad at God from the challenges. But let me tell you this. If you ever want to be an example, it's going to take a challenge. Examples are made from challenges. The circumstances are just the presentation of the opportunity. But let me give you one more other little truth. You see, excuses, when you want to be an example, will always be there, but opportunity might not. Hmm. See, the opportunity today might not be there. So we have to make the most of our time in these five areas. So he begins by saying speech. Speech defined as belief expressed through communicating what's on your mind. It is belief expressed through communicating what is on your noggin. The funny thing is it's not verbal communication. These days we live in a social media era where people's mouths are not controlled by anybody and they get behind a keyboard and type their feelings away. And people are way more aggressive on the internet than in person. <laughs> you ever find that out? In fact, the word says something about that in Proverbs 18 where it says a fool's mouth, his talking invites a beating. So many of us who have some black eyes, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to leave it alone. That might be a sensitive topic for some people because they talk and they can't fight. <laughs> I'm not encouraging the violence. Stick with me. But our mouths can be the main source of destruction. But you know what the mouth can do also? It can edify, it can build up. In fact, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, the exact same body that Timothy is at, saying, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, only one that is good to edify, which means to build up. The book of Proverbs also says, if we're going to go precept on top of precept, that the power of life and death is in the tongue. So that doesn't mean that we can just randomly go off and speak things into existence. I'm not God. That's not what I'm encouraging. I'm actually saying that your words, when you talk to somebody else, or even when we talk to that voice in our head saying, why can I do better, that that has a significant impact on the trajectory of our actions and ultimately our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we have a speech problem, don't look at the other person that you're going off on. Don't look at the person that just cut you off on 610 on your way home. Don't look at your wife when you say, why can't you cooperate? Don't look at your sibling when you say, why you keep stealing my clothes so now I'm going to cut you off. I need us to get a mirror and to look into it for one second for me enough to say, I have to take accountability because I'm the problem. And if I'm going to grow, I have to then allow the Holy Spirit to work in my heart in order to softening it up in order that I can, by way of word, purify all of those, edify all of those, build up all of those, and encourage all of those that are around me. See, a heart that is clean produces godly speech. And when we're talking crazy and talking reckless, that is one of the most vivid expressions of what we truly believe. So don't tell me you just said something and think about it. Nah, because my Bible says out of the abundance 
That means that there's a lot down there that you could be getting off right now. How about we show some self-restraint, church? And I'm going to be honest, this one out of all the five is my biggest issue. It is my biggest issue. Because sometimes I just talk too much. Y'all pray for me. The second thing is the conduct, right? Conduct is just belief expressed through behavior. So once again, both of these ideas of speech and conduct are communicating what you believe, right? Because what you do is a representation of who you represent. I know that sounded kind of funny. Let me rephrase it. That what you do is a direct indicator of who you're from. And if you don't believe me, somebody better talk to big mama or grandmama. Would. <clears throat> Come on now. Where your behavior was a reflection of your household. And if you don't believe me, walk through Walmart and see how people cut up. They don't do that at Target. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. But our behavior is important. Our behavior is critically important. Let me tell you about a situation, guys, and and this is just from my heart to share with y'all. I had a young lady come to me one time. We were having a great dialogue, a great discussion about marriage and families, and it broke my heart to hear this young lady say this because I believe in her so much. She has a bright future. She said, the only way to improve on my parents' marriage is to not get married. Wow. So many of us have been trained in households where people have said, do as I say, not as I do. I mean, that's kind of like a, a black proverb, <laughs> right? Big Mama's House, chapter 1, verse 5. Like, it's right there. Just turn the book, right? Let me tell you all this. No, 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 no. Their conduct matters too. You see, I'm tired of in the, particularly the black community, where our mothers and our grandmothers are the only people standing. Where are men at? Where are the men that are standing up and with their conduct, not showing pride like many men can do and beat their chest, say, this is my house, I'm a ruler with an iron fist, but is loving enough to serve on their wife, to be the priest, provider, and protector of their home and meet the needs of the children too, and not just say, I brought home a check, that's enough. It's quiet. Now, ain't no claps after that. (laughs) Hey. But, but, But it's honest, though. You know why? Because guess what? As a youth pastor for the past seven years, a lot of our young men are suffering in silence. Do y'all know that? That there's a crisis on young men right now? That there are so many young men that need advocates, that need people to stand in the gap to be able to show what real manhood is, which is not only power and authority, but also sensitivity. Also emotional IQ and the ability to be able to share. Let me tell you, this conduct tap is a big deal. You know why? Because if the conduct is not right, then we are making a bad rap for the God we serve. That's why Paul also wrote to the people in Colossians, walk worthy of God, of your calling, right? To please God in all that you do and bear fruit. But if you had to look at the fruit of your family tree, let's just get personal for a second. Hmm. Some of that stuff is bitter. Some of that stuff is rotten. But you know what can restore it? I'm going to put it to you like this, that this next thing that we mentioned will quell all the issues, this word called love. Now, love gets me the most excited out of all of these. You know why? Because if you read your Bible enough to come across 1 Corinthians 13, here's what you'll figure out. 
that it doesn't matter if you could speak in tongues or not, if you can prophesy or not, or if you have all these spiritual gifts or not, if you're charitable to giving. Some people have been looking for their giving to validate their righteousness in a legalistic way, and we've been conditioning people to think that way in our, not this particular church, thank God, but by and large, the church in general. And guess what? We lack this one word called L-O-V-E. The essence of what it means to be a Christian is to love. So let me tell you this. If you lack this, you will have a hard time being an example. Instead, you will be the wrong type of example. You will be the laughingstock, not because you are any worse than anybody else on a human level. No, because we're all in the same boat when it comes to sin. The reality is that you will not adequately represent your God well. And I'm going to be honest with y'all, I, I'm, I'm tired. In my, in my humanness, I am tired and I'm fed up with many people getting on the internet, coming up with crafty videos and talking about this, that, or the third. Guys, I'm in a, one of the best seminaries known on this side of the globe. And guess what? You have people that can quote from the patristic scholars from all the way back. They know the Greek and the Hebrew, but guess what? You ask somebody to sit down and share a meal and all of a sudden they're too busy. Hmm. Guys, I'm fed up because sometimes in this world, our churches lack this word called love. And let me tell you how big of a deal it is. This word love is so sincere because it is the genuine affection which is demonstrated through sacrificial actions. Imagine about this thing called the church. If nobody sacrificed anything and you came to church as a consumer rather than a sacrificial giver. Our churches would turn into spiritual shopping malls. We go and we advertise the best picture that we could imagine. We go to try to find the thing that could fit us the best because guess what? We want to be on display. We want to be able to show people that we are godly. But guess what? I could care less about whether you knew Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. I really don't care if you have a billion-dollar house or you live right there off the corner in Acres Home. Let me tell you what I need you guys to understand and don't miss. If you don't have genuine, warm regard and affection, affection for each other. We are failing as a church. And that can be an overwhelming call because guess what? Sometimes in my humanness, I run out of love. It's like a, it's like a, a box, right? I go in there, I reach down, I dig, I pull out some more, pull out some more. And sometimes when it comes to Sunday, I'd be like, oh God, I only got two love and it's 50 people. I need another miracle, right? The two fish, five loaves. I need you to multiply this love. And then I started studying the text more. You know what I came across which was so lovely to me? The fact that love as a fruit of the Spirit is such a powerful tool because that means that the closer in proximity I get to God is the closer in proximity I want to grow to other people. So for those that don't want anything to do with the next person, the real challenge is how close are you to the God they serve that you claim to love too? See, love is so significant. When Paul is talking to Timothy, he's saying, hey, they might doubt you. They might look down on you. They might not love you. But still, despite of the fact that they might lose love, the fact that they might look down, you keep doing what? Looking up and focus on God, and that will be able to power you through. It also goes on to say this word faith, to be able to keep faith in adversity. Wow, faith is so huge because you know how faith is best understood as a reliance on Jesus for what he has done and commitment to what he declares is truth. I'm going to slow that one down. Reliance on Jesus. 
for what he has done and commitment to what he declares is true. There are two aspects of faith that are critically important, reliance and commitment. Some of us are not confident in what Christ has done. You know how I know? Because we think that we've done it. That's how the, you know, that's the easy way to spot whether somebody is truly confident in Christ is whether they are humble enough to acknowledge their own sin and seek repentance. You see, the people that walk around that act as if their good deeds can achieve them some sort of status with God are on the wrong side of the conversation. The text tells me clearly that the love that God has for me was not earned. It's his grace that has drove him to send his son to the cross to die for me, according to John chapter 3. So when you study your Bible and you hear that word faith, I want you to be thinking, how can I be confident in Christ? Well, here's one of the easy ways to do it, realizing that he is enough. See, sometimes we have the Christ plus mindset, right? I got this same issue sometimes on Taco Tuesdays where I say I want the salsa and the cheese, and I want two more scoops of, you know, meat, and then I want my jalapenos, y'all. I've been trying to eat a little spicy. Y'all pray for my stomach. And we try to act like God is this buffet line where we just get God as the main course and then our pride is the side. Our good works is the side. Our giving is the side. And guess what? The reality is that Jesus is sufficient. He was sufficient to save you. And in the same way, and here's where the confidence comes in and when you rely on God sincerely, is that many of us, when we see death, we act like that's the end. I had to sit there and watch one of my childhood friends get buried just a week ago. And it hurt. I ain't going to front. But he was a believer, and I have joy that in the same way, Christ was raised from the dead. He too will rise. You see, that's when faith hits home. It's not when you could see. See, many people think the opposite of faith is doubt, and it's not. The opposite of faith is sight. The opposite of faith is what you can see that clouds your judgment so much to believing that you are equipped enough, that you are sufficient, that you need God plus what you can do in your little ministry. And let me tell you this, God doesn't need any of us in this building. In fact, the Bible tells us that he doesn't even have to use it. The rocks will cry out. So when that faith gets to getting tested, guys, when that adversity comes up, Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to nail yourself down and bolt yourself to the floor of faith to have commitment to what God declares is true, to build your life on the truth of his word. And that's the only way forward to get through. Guys, there was a dark season in my life. And some of you might be aware of, some of you might not know, but I was struggling so hard to manage. I found myself on my phone late night looking through Websites about therapy and counseling because I was hurting. Meanwhile, I'm preaching sermons that people are clapping for. Meanwhile, I'm serving and I'm giving. Meanwhile, I'm standing in the gap for the families that are hurting. And the enemy was attacking me heavily. But let me tell you what faith got me. Because somebody else has been in a therapy session before. And you can testify. 
See, somebody else had got some counseling. Somebody else was on their last dial and you made it through. Somebody else had a hard time making it through the hospital and fighting their condition and fighting the doctor's diagnosis. But the God that we serve has brought you through and delivered you from cancer, from bone issues, from arthritis, from mental health, anxiety, and depression. Somebody in this building has been brought through just as I have. And that is because of faith. It's because of faith today, guys. So when I say the word faith, I want you to know that the God we serve, you can plant your feet in him and you can stand. Because somebody walked into this church, threw a smile on their face, put on their best outfit, and your knees are weak. But understand, you're not the only weak when I stand with you. This word purity, though. See, faith and purity are connected because if you are believing in God and you're relying on him and you're committed to him, then let me tell you what you'll find. What you'll find is that there are challenges to your sexual purity as a single. There's challenges to purity even within the context of a marriage. I remember being a youth all the time thinking about, I cannot wait till I get married because I can finally do what everybody said I couldn't do prior to getting the ring. And then I recognized that even though I enjoy my marriage well, that there's still this word called temptation that is lurking around every corner on the internet and the mall. And many of us are telling, we're telling our young men that, Just wait till marriage, which is important. Please wait till marriage. That is what the Bible calls us to do, but we act like that's the be-all, end-all of temptation. And we're sending some of our young brothers up for failure because they walk into marriage, nose wide open, acting as if the moment they throw a ring on, that desire is going to fade away. The only thing that helps is your proximity to Jesus. You see, that word purity is best understood as a state of heart that is spiritually clean where there's complete devotion to God. I'm going to put it this way. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, not of yourself. And with that being said, you are not your own. Many of us have felt the pressure to be perfect. Anybody been crushed under the expectations of other people? And the weight of a failure seems to be what's going to do you in where the moment seems too big, the light's too bright. Let me tell you something that remember when it comes to purity, I don't care what your background or your history is. As a believer, you've been bought with a price. Let me get theological with you as we begin to figure out our way through the remainder of our time. The price that we've been bought with, the currency, so to speak, is the blood of Jesus. It's not your own ability. It's not your strength in order to hold tight or to hang on longer or to do better. That's not manning up. That's not womaning up. That is not what the Bible presents. In fact, the Bible says that you've been bought with the blood of Christ, meaning that Christ's death has atoned. It is paid for your sin, that lie, that cheat, that steal, that God himself has sent his son in his holiness, in his perfection, in everything that you could not do in keeping the law, Christ fulfilled it. In everything of pleasing the Father that you could not do, Christ did it. So that means by faith, we lay hold and access to a pure heart, not because I can fix it, not because I can say, but God, I've memorized too many verses, not because I said, God, I've showed up to church, not because I said, God, I'm doing the best that I can, that you are bought with the blood of Jesus that refines you in such a way 
that some of us in here get tears come to our eyes because we know where God had brought us from. So don't ever think of yourself as less than, not because you're capable, because he is. Don't ever think of yourself as unworthy. I don't care what your daddy told you, his daddy told you, his daddy told you. I don't care what the culture pushes on you. You listen to me clearly. I don't care what your peers tell you about your image and your identity, because guess what? Some of my sisters in here have been struggling even in their natural beauty. But let me tell you this. You are beautiful because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of my men in here are struggling right now because they're trying the best they can going through laborers' jobs. And we we sit there and we say, Lord, what else can I do? I want you to stand firm and not grow weary. Some of us in here need to experience the revolution that the blood of Christ brings, and today is the day. We're not going to wait no more. We're not going to wait no more. So the final point before we sail this ship on out is I want you to understand that there's deliverance through perseverance. I'm going to say it again. There's deliverance through perseverance. I'm going to check out your pastor. Let's see if it'll show. See, the pastor is a good example. Y'all can run it back on again. Let's see, because pastor is a good example of what perseverance looks like, right? Y'all check him out real quick. What have you done? You've made no progress, man. Let me tell you, that's a funny video we took a while back ago when we was at a retreat together. But pastor stayed in that gym the entire time we were lifting until he made a shot. He did. I testify. He did make a jump shot now. See, that funny video is like us, you know. We, we get up to the line, and we think that we're going to score every time we shoot. But the reality is ain't nobody perfect, right? You hear people say that all the time. So this idea of being delivered through perseverance is summarized in a few ways. It is persistence and self-examination that saves you from destruction. What do we know about verse 16? Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Preserve in these things. That's what the text says today, amen, to preserve in these things. Why? For as you do that, you will save both yourself and those who hear. The word save is not talking about salvation in the sense of saving from sin. It's talking about being delivered from destruction. Because obviously... We're saved by God's grace through faith. So the salvation it's referring to in the passage is talking about being delivered from their circumstance. Somebody in this building today is struggling to persevere. Why? Because they failed or they're struggling or they're wrestling or they're battling with these four things. And it's going to be quick. I know that sounds like a lot. Oh, my God, just stick with me. In fact, you can even repeat them after me to watch your heart and your doctrine closely. That's the main way. He says, hey, pay careful attention to yourself and what you believe. There's many times that we fall off because we're not focused, because we've lost sight of ourselves. It's so hard. It's almost like many of us, when we wake up in the mirror and, and, and we go to it and we think that we got all the crust out of our eyes only to get to work and everybody's looking you dead in your eye and they'll never do that. Let 
Not only should you guard your heart, because from it flow the springs of life, according to Proverbs chapter 4, you should hold yourself accountable and to invite others to do so as well. You see, I found that I could persevere once I brought in a team to help me. In fact, the book of James speaks to that point clearly in chapter 5, to confess sin to one another for healing because the prayer of the righteous avail much. See, sometimes we're struggling to get through because we're trying to do it alone. It's, ain't it funny how although Paul told that to Timothy, this was preached and presented throughout the church as a sound doctrine. So Paul, although he was specifically referring to Timothy in this text, that these are nuggets of wisdom that we can glean, that Timothy was able to reach out and say, hey, brother, I need your help as an elder. Hey, listen, man, I need your help to uplift me. Guys, there's so many times that we think that we were saved for us. You hear people say that all the time, and it comes across as, at first, a good statement at face value when you say, hey, it's about a personal relationship. And it is, obviously, you know, can't nobody else's faith count for you. But many of us take that personal word to the fullest extent. You know why? Because the moment I say, okay, hey, if you want to be able to persevere and be a good father, how about you get connected to the men's ministry? And then people, oh, I got to work on Saturday, boss man. I tell the women, hey, hey, how about you get plugged in? These are some ladies that can hold you accountable. Many times we're not even serving, but we liking the pictures on Facebook, laying from the bed at the same time they outside. So, man, y'all not hear me because I be, I be outside. I see who be out there. Family. Many of us need accountability to be able to stand in our grill and say, no, it's time that you be an example. If you want to persevere, if you want to make it through, if you want that deliverance, it's going to come through that perseverance to intentionally and consistently invest in your walk. Many of us don't do that. I'd encourage some of you guys in here to buy a Bible commentary just to help your study time. Get a study Bible. We're like, nah, that old King James, my great-great-granny gave me, that'll do good. Knowing it's been open to the same chapter, the same verse. You didn't got the little red ribbon draped so neatly. It ain't got no wrinkle in it. You walk by it every day, put your keys right next to it on the mantle, keep on walking. Then I ask somebody, hey, invest in and the opportunity to grow, go to college biblical studies. Try to get developed. Nah, see, because I ain't really got the time. But on Sunday, all you hear is dun dun dun, dun NFL time. Guys, when as a body of believers are we going to take our spiritual walk seriously? I see all of y'all and I love y'all. Y'all know I love y'all. I know y'all love me. But it's about time we started really stepping behind what we're talking about. And I'm not talking about fake stepping. I'm not talking about frat stepping. I'm talking about really believing and living what you are talking about in such a way that you are an example. Remember, Paul was not telling Timothy, hey, go and change everybody's heart. They're looking down on you. Stop them. Go up to them, cuss them out, say, you're going to respect me. If they don't love you, jerk your shoulder away and say, I ain't got to talk to you. He, he, he made it so simple. He said, hey, my son of the faith, Timothy, hey, bro, check this out. I need you to lock in on these five areas and to persevere, to pay careful attention to them, and that is how you are going to deliver these people in this church from destruction. So you are to be disciplined, and you will be able to preserve through danger. Let me tell you this. 
Guys, I'm really wrestling right now because perseverance is an area sometimes even I get tired in. And I get the most tired whenever people tend to hit the same wounds that somebody else hit, right? Let's be honest for a second as a family. Family meeting. When somebody hits your wounds that other people have hit before, it hurts. That's why many of us have said the church hurts. We've understood the church to be a hospital full of people with broken hearts and broken expectations. And we've showed up on Sundays hoping to get the word that's going to revitalize our life. Let me tell you this. I've stood in many pulpits preaching and still hurting and still wounded. But please hear me on this, that there is only one encouragement that I found when I started studying the Bible. Which is that even though I am wounded, even though I might be hurting, even though I might be limping, I'm not defeated. And I found the most confidence in the fact that my Savior has wounds too. Jesus had been betrayed. He sealed it with a kiss. He showed him love and still stabbed him in the back and sold him off for a little piece of change. He still climbed up, well, really was hung up on a cross, was beaten, flogged with the cat of nine tails that had bone and glass and metal and all types of charts that ripped against his flesh until the blood poured out. Those are the wounds I'm talking about today. He stood up on that cross, got wounds in each of his hands, got wounds through his feet. So don't tell me that you cannot be an example because you're wounded. I tell you today, look to the example. You look to the example, and then you can find out how to truly overcome those wounds. And it's not by fighting. It's not by getting aggressive. It is by loving. It is by speaking with joy and hope. It is by having a conduct that models God. It's about living pure and having integrity of heart. And it is about being a person of faith despite the challenge, despite the outcome that you know is going to happen. You still stay the course. Today is a wonderful time for us to be examples and to be on display. So what I want you guys to do next time you have a challenge, I want you to point to the challenge on your left. I want you to point to the challenge on your right. I want you to point to the challenge on your left. I want you to point to the challenge on your right. And I still want you to put on godliness. So, yeah, that's right. When you look left, right, left, right, you still put it on. Today is a joyous and wonderful day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad as examples in it today.